It is easy for the next generation to take for granted the legacy they have received. Why must every generation think through their commitments for themselves? This is Truth Encounter, and as the Prophet Moses starts to land his lengthy five-part sermon recorded in Deuteronomy, he challenges the younger generation to make the same commitment to God that their parents made. We learned earlier in our study of Deuteronomy that God has no grandchildren, and chapter 29 powerfully brings this message home. Let's join the discussion as our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, challenges us to get the message for ourselves. Now, as we open up Deuteronomy chapter 29 today, Moses is going to bring this whole message to conclusion. And in chapter 29 and 30, he brings his whole discussion in this entire book to a close. And in the last several chapters are going to be Moses passing on the leadership to the next generation. Chapter 29, verse 1, is really the conclusion of our blessing and cursing chapter in chapter 28. And then he introduces his final thrust, his final conclusion. And so let's read chapter 29, verse 1. These are the terms of the covenant, or the agreement, or the promise that God wants to enter into with his people. This is the term of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab, in addition to the covenant that he made with them at Horeb. And that's Mount Sinai. What Moses is saying is that 40 years earlier, God had entered into a personal relationship with his people, the people of Israel. 40 years have now gone by, and now another generation has come. And Moses is saying that the same commitments that the older generation made, Moses wants the next generation to make, to make it real personal. When we started here, it was a group of about eight families that made a commitment. Christ's likeness through a balanced ministry of evangelism and edification, the proclamation of the gospel, the teaching together of God's word. A group of eight families decided that they would open up the scripture and they would build their lives on that. And that's the way Midlothian Bible Church started. Some of those people didn't even know Christ as their savior in those early stages. And, and over the next few months, as we open up the word of God, they came to know Christ as their savior and found what it meant to really have a personal relationship with Christ. And our church was born. Jonathan was born that first fall. Now new generations are coming. And Moses was concerned about that next generation. And I think it's very wise for us as we study this principle in the book of Deuteronomy for the younger generation to ask themselves, what's our decision going to be? One of the things we're going to find in this passage, it's real easy to be part of what God is doing. It's real easy to be brought up in a church like ours and to hear the good teaching and, and, to, and to see people coming to know Christ and to have Sunday school and all the different things that we have and to enjoy those blessings. But it's real easy to be around it, but not really in it. It's real easy for it just to be a culture, and yet it's not really mine personally. And Moses is a wise leader that recognizes that. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, your moms and dads had Mount Sinai. They had the time when they met God personally. Now Moses is saying, now it's your time. Now you have to meet God personally. And as he develops the next few paragraphs, he asks a penetrating question. What he says is this, that God is speaking to you. God's voice is around you. 
You can look back over the history, we're going to find out, and you can see objective evidence of, of God working and God being active in people's lives. But whether or not you receive it or not, whether or not you hear the music, is something that happens inside of you. You might not be plugged in. Your cassette, personally, of your heart might not quite be adjusted. Let's look at it as Moses develops his points in verse 2. The very first thing I want you to want to ask yourself as we read this first paragraph is this. Are you tuned in? Are you tuned in? Notice what he says. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, it's a formal announcement. We're going to have a great big get-together. Not like Jerry Jones did at Texas Stadium, but this is going to be like a big gathering like that to be able to be confronted with the challenge of God, to be able to hear his voice. Your eyes, now notice what he begins with. He gathers the crowd together. You want to picture thousands of people gathered together out in this plain. I don't know how. Moses must have had an incredible voice to be able to, to beller forth, kind of like George Whitfield did in the early days of our country. It was said that Whitfield could speak to twenty and 30,000 people in the open air without an amplifier or anything. And Moses must have had a voice like that as well. Or maybe they relayed the message somehow. They got the message out. And Moses begins his message like this. Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh. To all his officials and to all of his land. First thing Moses reminds them of is their history. He's taking the next generation and he's saying, you need to remember your history. You need to go back and remember what happened in Egypt. Now, the, the audience that he was speaking with, even the older ones in the group, were just little kids when they were delivered from Egypt. Because remember, the whole adult generation has passed away by this time. So those that saw the Egyptian deliverance and the Egyptian plagues and all that happened in Egypt, they were just little kids. So Moses says, I want you to go back and remember what happened to you when you were a kid, which helps us to realize that God can communicate very powerful messages even to little kids. Then he reviews the history a little bit more. With your own eyes, you saw those great trials. You saw the ten plagues sweep over Egypt. You saw the miraculous signs. You saw Moses be able to throw his rod down and it became a snake. You saw the frogs come up out of the Nile River. You saw the Nile turn to blood. You saw those incredible, powerful signs and great wonders. This is the generation, when they were little kids, they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Moses roots the faith in history. It's one of the most important distinctions of the Israelite worship of the Old Testament and our New Testament worship in the New Testament. History is important. It's important to realize that our faith, like the Israelites' faith, is rooted in objective ground in history. The death and the resurrection of Christ. And in a New Testament sense, what a New Testament Moses would say to us is you need to remember your exodus. You need to remember the fact that Jesus delivered you out of your sin, out of slavery to the evil one, and now you've been born again into God's family. And every one of you should remember that history. It doesn't make any difference whether you can remember the exact time or place. That's not what's important. But you should be able to think back over your life, and you should be able to remember that the Lord spoke to you about Jesus dying on the cross and taking your place and him rising again, and you should be able to remember that you trusted that, that you believed in that. That's your history. That's your deliverance history. Then he goes on and talks about something else the Lord did. It says, but to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands, or eyes that see, or ears that hear. And I'm going to come back to that in just a second, because that's our theme verse. 
In verse 5, he talks about not just the exodus, but he talks about the wilderness, the next phase of their development with the Lord. During the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. So the Lord is saying, I not only want you to remember that you've been delivered from Egypt, but I also want you to remember the wilderness wanderings. I want you to remember the way the Lord provided for you. So Moses says this, first of all, you should be able to remember a day of deliverance. You should be able to remember a time when the Lord rescued you. Second of all, you should be able to look back over a history of the Lord providing for you, of the Lord meeting your needs. And that was the wilderness period for the nation of Israel. Then he says this, When you reach this place, in verse 7, Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out to fight against us, but we defeated them. We took their land and we gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Now to us, those are just ancient names and they don't make any sense to us. But that's the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy. You see, when the children of Israel came up to the plains of Moab, as they got ready to go in and possess their promised land, there were some great enemies that came out against them. That was Og and Sion. They were the equivalent of ancient Nazis or ancient enemies or the ancient uh, Colombian drug cartel. They were the enemies that were trying to snuff out the life of Israel. And so when Moses mentioned those names, it brought back to remembrance the great victories because when the Israelite army went out against Og and Sion, the Lord gave them great victory and those victories became the ground of their challenge to go in and possess the land. It's what gave them the courage to face Jericho. If the Lord could beat this enemy on the plains of Moab, if the Lord could give us this land in Transjordan, then he can give us the land that's coming up. And that's where the Lord works in your life. What you're going to find is that the Lord, as you grow in him, you should first of all be able to remember a time of deliverance. When all of you ask yourself, can I remember a time? Do I know for sure that the Lord's rescued, rescued me out of slavery to sin? If you haven't, then this is a great time to open your heart, even while I'm speaking. Because it's a decision that you make in your own heart where you say, I'm going to believe that Jesus died for me. It's not joining a church. It's not joining some kind of an organization. It's a commitment that you make to the Savior that you're going to trust him to deliver you from your sin. Then you should be able to see a progress of growth. You should be able to see the Lord's provisions through the wilderness. For example, the last time we studied together, there was the idea of if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you don't obey me, you're going to be cursed, and therefore you should be very warned. You should be careful not to disobey the Lord. Now, I want to give you a chance. See, one of the things that's going to happen on Sunday morning, if I'm just lecturing you and nothing's happening, then we may as well not gather together. So we talked about consequences. That was the whole theme of the message, consequences. And the basic theme that we had was, if you obey the Lord, you'll be blessed. If you don't obey the Lord, there's real threat. And so you should, when you go to make a decision to disobey the Lord, then you should have a, like a Niagara Falls fear that's there. I don't want to jump in the water because, man, I'll plunge to disaster. What I want you to be thinking of, I'm going to give you some examples of blessing that happened just this week in response to what we talked about last week. And as I'm talking about some of the blessings, then I want you to be thinking about maybe some of the blessings that you had in your own life as a consequence of obedience. Or also, you might want to share 
I learned that there's consequences if I disobeyed. I almost went and did so-and-so, but I remembered that's against God's plan this week, so I didn't do it. And I obeyed because I was afraid of the consequences that God would bring against me, okay? Let me just share some of the blessings. I'll come down here. We can all be on the same level. Uh, H and Carolyn Briggs. Carolyn wasn't feeling very well as we were, you know, sitting here in church. None of us really had any idea about it. It got worse. She had to be rushed to the hospital. It turned out that she had appendicitis, although they didn't know for sure. In fact, they ran several tests and know what was wrong with her. They were going to send her home. They were getting, the doctor was getting all ready to send her home. And the doctor's a good friend of mine, and he's a believer, and he just felt in his soul, no, I don't want to send her home. In fact, he told Agent Carolyn, I'm not going to send you home until I know for sure why you're having that pain. You shouldn't have that kind of pain. And so the doctor did a few more tests. He discovered that she had acute appendicitis. In 10 minutes, doctor went in, and sure enough, they needed to get that appendix out. And Carolyn's life was protected. And so, in fact, the Lord worked it out. I was thinking of going to visit them, and I had heard on Monday night that they were going to be home, so I almost went to their house, and I decided at the last minute, no, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to, I'm going to stop at the hospital. And as it worked out, I was a, because I went back to the hospital, I was able to be right there at the conclusion of the surgery. Even though it was an emergency, I was able to be right there with H, and it's kind of a traumatic time. And the Lord brought blessing and brought healing Here's a couple that all their life have built their life on this scripture. They've been obedient to the Lord. They've been faithful. And here we see the Lord's blessing in their life. So there's an example of blessing. We've been praying for the new mothers to be able to have their, uh, their children and for it to be expedited and for them to be well. So there's an example of the blessing of the Lord. You see, the Lord is saying, like, Matt and Debbie have been committed to each other. They're a couple that's trying to build their life on the word of God, and the Lord brings blessing. Now, we need to be very careful. You see, if there's, if there's a problem, we can't just automatically jump and say, well, that means that someone sinned. That's not what the book of Job attacks, that kind of simplistic approach to this. But I do want you to know that there, there is strong evidence that over a general body of believers, that if we obey the Lord, there is blessing, if we disobey them, there's cursing. There's some of you, the music is being played, but you're not hearing it. That's what Moses is concerned about. In other words, there's a lot of people that are around you that are hearing the music. In fact, I want you to hear the music. I want you to see with your eyes the blessing of God. But Moses makes a statement because he knows human nature. He knows that among the people of Israel, he also knows among all of us that we can be all around what's happening and yet we're not experiencing, we're not hearing it. We're like, I was, you're deaf. The, the music was playing from that CD player, but I wasn't hearing anything. Notice what it says in verse 2. You have eyes that have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, to all his land. With your own eyes you saw those great trials, those miraculous signs, the great wonders. In other words, Moses is saying, like we just read, that all these miracles, all this work of God was happening around them. But look what he says in verse 4, which is really the theme verse of this entire chapter. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart. In Hebrew, it's not just your mind. It involves your mind, but you haven't been given an internal receptor would be a great way to translate this word. The Lord has not yet given you an internal receptive. He hasn't yet tuned you in. So that you understand, so that it clicks inside of you. Oh yeah, that's what God's saying. 
He hasn't also given you eyes that see or ears that hear. Now that's a very powerful verse. In fact, in the Lord's ministry, he again and again and again said to people, you have ears to hear, but you don't hear. And I want all of us to take very seriously Moses' theme. He's saying God is speaking. The music is being played. God is working. God is always at work. God wants to bring blessing. He wants to warn us. But you can be deaf to the music. And you say, well, Dave, what do I do about that? If you're deaf to the music, if it's boring to read the Bible, like if you haven't read the Bible at all this week, and you haven't had any desire to do it, if you're into other things, you say, Dave, I'm just not into this God thing, and you feel no pull upon your life, then I want to challenge you, don't take that for granted. You need to get alone with God sometime this week and cry out to him and say, Lord, I want you to work in my life. I want you to open up the receivers. Lord, I'm deaf. I can't hear spiritually. I'm blind. I can't see spiritually. And, and I want you, rather than saying, well, man, I'm not sure, you know, boy, you know, maybe that religious stuff has no value at all in my life. I guarantee you, as you grow older, this spiritual thing is going to get more and more important. Norman Lear is, is the exact opposite of what I believe. He's the one that did the thing on the family and all that kind of stuff, all those sitcoms on TV. Norman Lear, for years and years, mocked morality, mocked traditional values, mocked the Bible, he mocked born-again believers. But as Norman Lear grows older, and he's talking to America, and he, and he says, well, we need morality. He wants to build on a totally different foundation. Norman Lear could live materialistically, he could mock the idea of invisible standards of right and wrong, of relationships with a supernatural being. He could mock that and make big bucks doing it. But as you grow older, you can't get away from those very powerful spiritual drives that are deep in the human heart. What I plead with you to do is cry out to Jesus Christ to open up your ears. Cry out to Jesus Christ to open up your eyes. Because it's, it's even more serious to have spiritual eyes that are blind than to have physical eyes that are blind. It's much more serious to be deaf spiritually than to be deaf physically. I have many friends that function really well being deaf physically. In fact, I have one of them that I was with at Word of Life that you wouldn't even know she was deaf. She could communicate and everything else. And if she didn't tell you, you'd have a real hard time figuring out that she couldn't hear because she's so compensated. Deafness physically doesn't have to be in a tremendous handicap. But deafness spiritually is. In other words, as you're, as you're listening to God's words, and I have to ask myself this because I can become deaf and I can become blind and I can be reading the book of Deuteronomy and nothing happens just like you. And I have to say, Lord, I want you to open up my eyes so I can see. I want you to tune me in. Now, it's very important to make that decision to open your heart because God wants to work in your heart to give you the receiver. He wants to work in your heart so you can see and so you can hear and so you can understand. And if you open your heart like that and God works in you, I want you to realize, number two, not only the fact that you need to get tuned in, but if you do get tuned in, it's going to have what I want to call this morning the ripple effect. You see, if you get tuned in, it's going to ripple out among many people. In other words, every single one of you is not an island. You've all heard the poem, you know, no man's an island. We even sing a song, no man, no woman is an island. We'd have to sing it today. You know, no person is an island. But that's the truth. And what it's saying is that every one of you are interconnected. Every one of you relate to somebody else. And that's what Moses is concerned about in the next paragraph. 
He challenges this next generation. First of all, you got to get tuned in. I'm concerned about you. You just sit there. You hear me talk and you've, you've seen the miracles that God did for your parents and, and you've, you've seen what God can do, but I'm not sure you're getting it. And as their history proved out, they didn't get it very well. So he challenges them at the beginning of the chapter, be sure you're tuned in. Then he says, I want you to realize there's going to be a ripple effect in your life. The decisions that you make, either to listen to God or not, are going to have incredible effects upon all kinds of people around you. Look what he goes on and says in verse 9. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper. There's that blessing motif we had in our previous chapter. If you follow God's law, the general principle, you'll be blessed. All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God. No, Moses is saying that all the people of Israel have to make the decision. They're all standing in the presence of God. So it can't be the decisions their parents made. It can't be the decisions that that a friend made. It has to be a decision that they make. They're all standing in the presence of the Lord. Your leaders and your chief men. So the leaders of the group, they're standing in the presence of the Lord. Your elders and your officials, they're standing in the presence of the Lord. All the other men of Israel are standing in the presence of the Lord. Your children and your wives are standing in the presence of the Lord. The aliens living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water, everyone is standing in the presence of God. And he goes from the highest in the social strata to the lowest on the social strata. One of the things I want you to realize is that in God's family, you don't have a social strata. Everybody stands in the presence of God. It doesn't make any difference whether you make a lot of money or you make hardly any money. It doesn't make any difference whether you have what what our society would call a a real high-profile professional job or whether you have a menial job. The same thing is true in God's family today that was true of his Old Testament family. If you stand in the presence of God, you're all responsible. You all have to make decisions. That's an incredible thing that Moses was teaching that hundreds of years before Christ came. Because our society, even within churches, still hasn't got a hold of that. That we're all the same, we're all on level planes, that we all have to decide. The humblest person that makes the right decision for Christ becomes honored by the Father in heaven and becomes loved and cherished and will be blessed by him. And we can have someone that's very powerful in our society that doesn't have ears to hear, doesn't have eyes to see, and the Lord will say, you mean nothing to me. And this humble, it might just be a little child that's really responsive to God. God will really use them and will bless them. Because God's use of us and his blessing upon us has nothing to do with what our position is or what our birth was or where we live or anything. Isn't that tremendous to know that? That we're all leveled and we're all standing and the Lord God of the universe is playing the music to us and challenging us to sing with him and to listen to what he's saying. He says, you are standing here in verse 12 to enter, in order to enter into a a personal relationship, a covenant. The Lord wants you to make a promise agreement with God. The word covenant is the heartbeat of the whole book of Deuteronomy. It's a challenge for you to make a personal decision in your own heart that you're going to respond to the grace and love of God that God has given to you. God says, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And the covenant agreement is that in your own soul, that you decide, I'm going to be God's child. I want to be one of God's people by grace. And that's the challenge of entering into that covenant. The Lord is making with you this day and sealing with his oath, and the Lord always keeps his promises, to confirm to you this day as his people, 
that he may be your God as he promised you as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I'm making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here today in the presence of the Lord your God, but also with those who are not here today. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way here. You saw among them the detestable images. And then he goes on and warns them about something we want to talk about. But the verse that I want you to see is the idea, he says, I'm not only making this promise with those that are here today, but I'm also making this covenant agreement with those that are not here today. And you say, Dave, what does that mean? It's the ripple effect. And what Moses is saying is this, that the decision that every one of you make about what you're going to do about this agreement with God is going to have incredible effect. It's going to have like a ripple effect. And what I mean by that is when you drop a stone in water, it moves out through the water. It radiates out through the water. When you drive a speedboat through the water, the wave radiates through the water and it goes way out to the, to the shorelines. That's what Moses is saying. He's saying as we drop the stone of commitment into your life, the decision that you make is going to have incredible ripples throughout all kinds of generations to come. The ripple effect. It's easy to say that you can't make a difference, but this is a lie. You are making a difference in your family, your church, your nation, the issue is what kind of difference are you making? A commitment to love the true God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. To be committed to His Son and to live daily under the power of the Holy Spirit will set up a powerful wave for the good of your marriage and for your children. To choose to continue to live for your own personal peace and affluence will generate the consequences of selfishness right down through your generations. Moses knew this as he challenged Joshua's generation, and it remains true today. I trust that you will drop your own personal stone of commitment into the waters of your life so that God can generate His wave of healthy living.